Hello and welcome to another episode of the Cyberwork with InfoSec podcast. Each week I sit down with a different security uh, industry thought leader to discuss the latest cybersecurity trends and how those trends are affecting the work of InfoSec professionals, as well as tips for those trying to break in or move up the ladder in the cybersecurity industry. Jonathan Butler started at Distill Network at, in May of 2016 as an IT security analyst, and since then he has worked his way from analyst to team lead to manager. He is going to speak with me today about his journey as a security analyst, his career steps along the way, and how aspiring security analysts can make their best choices to get their career off to a great start. Jonathan Butler is the Security Analytics and Professional Service Manager for Distilled Networks, the global leader in bot mitigation, uh, which was previously acquired by Imperva. He's been with Distilled Networks since 2016 and previously worked at Urban Science. Jonathan, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so this is where I, I start, uh, if you've heard any of our podcasts, uh, I started at the, the same point at most of them. Um, so tell me a little bit about how you got involved in computers and security. Um, you know, was it something that you were interested in an early age or did it come later in life? Yeah, it's funny because I, I grew up in a very rural area, had really bad internet service and, and mm -hmm. there just wasn't a lot of money left around for, for computers and software and stuff like that. So I actually didn't have a childhood that was too dependent around computers. It was more once I got to college, mm. I studied mathematics and um, at the University of Virginia. And part of the requirement of that major was you have to take a computer science course. Mm. And I ended up taking this class that was pretty elementary. I mean, it just taught you about how the internet works, some of the history, how websites work, like the computer network as a concept. Um, and that's really where it piqued my interest. And from there, I ended up taking another course that really exposed me to the programming side of things uh, where, you know, I was using Java and a couple of other languages to build applications. And um, that, that's really where I think my interest peaked. Uh, there was like a particular project in that class where we more or less had to recreate Angry Birds like that. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking like, it was really cool seeing the physics being baked into the language um, where you're kind of recreating reality through, through this project. And um, that I think is where I saw the potential of it and, and where I really got interested in it. Um, but I, I studied math with a finance concentration. So I thought I wanted to go that route. I ended up landing a job at a software development firm out of college. And it kind of naturally took off from there. It went from a software development firm to urban science which is a you know data consulting firm of sorts for the automotive space and there i got exposed to really working with enterprise companies audi and volkswagen were two of my major clientele and so um that's where i got this exposure to bigger companies and, and how they work and operate and that was a natural segue weirdly enough into my role here at distill networks um where i, I that's truly where i pivoted into the cybersecurity space up until that point had you asked me if I was going to be at a cybersecurity company, I, I would have probably said, hey, maybe, but not, not like actively searching for it. Okay. When you were in college, you said that, you know, the internet was still, you were, wasn't something you were familiar with, you know, pre-college. Do you feel that the people you were going to school with, that it was sort of a, a fact of life for them? Did you sort of feel like you were sort of behind and, and needed to catch up in that regard? Yeah, I, yeah, def definitely felt that way, um, especially in that class. I mean, there were just people who it, it was like breathing, breathing oxygen for them. It was just so right. second nature. And uh, at, at, at where I was going, I mean, there was just so many smart people around me that I always kind of felt like, man, am I, the, I must be the only idiot in this class. Um, so it, it was a little bit of catch up. And I, I think I just 
there, there was like a very distinctive moment in one particular class I remember where, you know, I just kind of sat down and made the decision like, hey, like, you can't make that excuse for yourself, just sit down, learn it and move on. But I definitely had a lot of that be because I came from the background that I did with some of these people where technology was very much more baked into their childhood, mm -hmm. um, had personal computers coming in, which when I went to college, it wasn't really the case. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, just all, all that. Extends. Yeah, I mean, I, I, even beyond computer science folks who were, you know, sort of swimming in it from, from an early age, do you feel like that the student populace in general was all, you know, what, because when I went to college, I mean, I was, you know, dark ages, but you know, like the internet was just <laughs> starting and it was both simultaneously omnipresent, like everyone had it, you know, was given a username and account and so forth, but also just completely new to like every single person. This is like 92 or whatever. So um, did, did you feel like there were other folks even in other disciplines for whom the internet was still kind of a novelty or was, were, were most people like sort of taking it as, as sort of fact? Uh, I, I think it, it was still a novelty for some people. Yeah. Um, it, like I said, there, there were a lot of people around me that did have those types of upbringings where they, they were exposed to it, but it still was a new thing. I mean, flip phones were still around, right. um, like the Blackberry was kind of there. So technology was at a, at a really interesting point when I was in college where it was starting to become this matter of fact part of everyday life. Like everything was, you know, even things like submitting papers was going to an online submission, like those oh, types yeah. of ideas, which are probably second nature, nature for kids today in school. Like that was the, the transition there. So computers were starting to more and more bring themselves into life, but we, we weren't fully there. Uh, we weren't fully there yet. Um, so uh, today we're going to talk uh, to you sort of about your, your career track as a uh, security analyst and now, now you're a security manager. Uh, so tell me a little bit about your, your journey in this regard. What were some of the major steps along the way and what were the progression of skill sets that got you to this point? Like what sort of things did you have to learn? What types of jobs did you have to do to sort of prepare yourself for uh, working at Distill Now? Yeah, it, my, my, my professional journey has um, never really been like, I'm going to be here in five years, I'm going to be here in 10 years. Mm -hmm. It's always just kind of put your nose down, work hard at what you're focused on and, and let the universe kind of carry you from there. Right. And that's really a reflection of how my professional journey has been since I started working. So I really was intrigued with finance, but my first job out of school was at a software development firm. And it was there that I got exposed to databases and data analytics, and, and really that kind of came with the territory of um, SQL and other programming languages and knowing how web applications interact with backends. Um, and, and so I actually thought I wanted to be a database administrator. Uh, hmm. administrator. And uh, from, from that, I was like studying for certifications, pursuing that. I even asked the DBA of the company I was working at if I could get private uh, mentorship from them after work. Um, but as that progressed, I really wanted to get into the private sector. I, I was working you know, for a government consultant and I stepped over into the private sector, moving to urban science where there still was a lot of opportunity to explore data analytics. And obviously like with that, still have technology as a major component of that. Um, and, and it was there that I think I got introduced to this idea of the consultant mentality, right? Like really helping businesses make informed and intelligent decisions off of ultimately data-driven, uh, you know, like helping them with data-driven decisions. Hmm. And, and I think that was um, 
a really big aha moment for me. Maybe not like any specific moment in time, but just like that whole experience kind of put a lot of pieces into play is that like these companies are usually working under tough constraints, uh, financial budgets, time management, uh, resource allocation, like all of these different things to ultimately deliver an end product and end goal um, of some sort. And in the security space, that's securing your web application, that's securing your organization. Um, all of these realities are, are and constraints are constantly working against you. And you have to make best use of your time, best use of your dollar, best use of your team um, through that, that intelligence and, and data insight. Um, but also being able to navigate the, the business terrain. And, and that I think is really what teed me up ultimately for being able to pivot into the security space because when I came to Distill Networks, it was at that point in time, a company that had a really great technology, but their ability to turn around and explain it to the customer through uh, data and help consult them on how to leverage it to the maximum and optimal extent was very weak. I mean, hmm. when I came in, it was at a point where the company had basically said, hey, we want to build a team, a professional services organization that can actually be sold on top of our technology stack to be product consultants and web security experts to help guide customers and give them this like creme de la creme service. Mm -hmm. And um, with that, all of my learnings and, and findings at my previous role in that consultant uh, position really kind of bloomed and blossomed here at Distill Networks because at the end of the day, security is a very thankless and selfless um, pursuit, right? Like, uh, you're not always going to be like pulled over and slapped on the back and said, Hey, good job. Right. Like you just have to have these intrinsic motivators that make you curious, that make you passionate and really want to move the needle forward for, you know, your customer, that could be your boss, your organization, your customer. Um, and so, you know, it, it was just a, a really rewarding experience, but all, all said and done, I think it was just the combination of my, exposure to databases and web applications in my first job and then the learning the business language and learning all of these ex external um, like external constraints that, that you have to then creatively come up with solutions to navigate that all came together at my time here to still and, and kind of helped grow the, the professional services the security analyst function here at, at this company okay so um Walk me through uh, your average day as a security analyst. Like what time of day do you start work? Uh, you know, where does your work take you in the course of the day? You know, how, how soon after you've built your to-do list for the day, does it go completely go up in flames in, in the emergencies? <laughs> and what time are you done? Do you have, you know, are you sort of on call all the time? Can you turn off your job? Things like that. Yeah, sure. I, you know, I'm in a little bit of an interesting position because today I'm a manager, so mm -hmm. I'm not so much of an, an individual contributor role, but um, to, to just kind of give a lens into that, I, I think the job is unfortunately pretty 24 by seven. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I am usually connected to my phone, even when I leave the work, uh, the workplace, like even last night I woke up randomly at like two in the morning, decided to check my phone, had a couple of things pending, so I responded to them, went back to sleep. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a personal decision. Right. And uh, we're at a company where things are moving so fast. We've got a couple of major projects on their way where, you know, those are kind of 
ugly necessities in those moments. But we do work really hard to give work-life balance to our guys. And, um, you know, however fast you want your career to move is probably going to directly be correlating to um, how much time you might have to give at a certain point. And again, like if it's a big project, you'll have to uh, be around the clock a little bit more. And again, that's, oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say that that's just been my personal experience. I, I know there are plenty of companies that do put a premium on work-life balance and do try to, to bring that back because it's a, a little bit of a dying perk, unfortunately. Yeah. And, um, but so it, it is a 24 by seven job. The way it comes in or the way the, the work week goes is you come in, you typically know you have a couple of core priorities and projects you have to tend to, but um, the day you want to, take a hold of it versus it take a hold of you. So I'll usually start by going through the email inbox, checking Slack and seeing what pending and critical projects are coming up. Usually there's a couple you can already expect to be there waiting for you, like critical showstopper issues. Um, and then from there, it, it's kind of mapping your day out, mapping your, your even your week out to an extent. Like, hey, I've got this on Thursday, this on Tuesday, and I know I've got this next Tuesday. So let me plan accordingly and usually you know once a week there's something that just totally derails your day where you have to throw everything aside focus on that and um, jump on it so that I don't know if that fully answers the question but that, that's just been my general workflow experience um, you know Monday through Friday yeah uh, for, for analysts I mean I assume they're they're working kind of in the nuts and bolts of the actual problems whereas as a manager you're probably spending more time uh, sort of, you know, translating the needs of the the board or the you know CEO or whatever to the analysts and things like that. But uh, you know, yeah. a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, your work your workload and work week is probably going to be somewhat correlated to the system that you're operating or <clears throat> the the base of customers that you're responsible to. For us, we have a, a global customer base, so like a problem can pop up at any time of the day, any time of week. And because we sit in line with a lot of our customers' websites, you know, urgent issues are very urgent. So we got to jump on that. Um, but, but from the individual contributor role, like the security analyst, the way we've crafted it, um, you typically have responsibility over some segment of customers and certain processes where you do have a little bit more stability in your day to day. Right. Like I, I think that's something you can expect in the, and a career in security is like, as you get more responsibility over bigger and bigger pieces, um, you, you know, you're going to just naturally have to jump in when critical issues and situations come up. But uh, we work with a lot of tools um, th that we, we make sure our guys are getting trained up on. So some part of your day is probably going to be self-development and, um, you know, constantly growing with the environment, growing with the tooling and those sorts of things. Uh, and then the tooling can be environment to environment. We use a lot of Python. We use a lot of Tableau, which is like data visualization. Mm -hmm. Obviously, having familiarity with like a you know a terminal window, um, and those sorts of things like Bash scripts, Lua. Like our environment's pretty language agnostic. We we'll, we'll usually have to jump into different things, and because we're with other customers' web infrastructures, you, you might even have to like educate yourself, give yourself a quick little boot camp on like this language or this application or this, you know, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that's like another part of it as well. Okay. And in a really sort of like 
atomized, you know, point specific way, like what are some tasks that a security analyst should be cool with doing every day? It's something that, you know, every single day you're going to be working with this kind of tool or you're going to be doing this kind of thing. Um, Like what are some things that just sort of keep happening in the job over and over and over? Uh, That's a good question. Um, So I guess I almost have to preface the question with, you know, in in my role, we are almost consultants to to the customer. Okay. Um, whereas some security analysts might work for a company and, and you were kind of responsible for building and defending the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for us, it's a very common expectation that you're looking out for your customer. Like you are doing things to scan their perimeter for them. And over the history of, of my time here, that went from us having to manually go into uh, web like website logs and look for anomalous behavior and craft signatures to like patch holes of sorts and and you know you do that enough days in a row and you're like this is goofy this is silly like why am i spending so much time on these very tedious monotonous tasks and also why are they um, only going to happen when i'm online so it sparks that that pivot of like okay well maybe it's not about doing the task it's about how can i architect the infrastructures to automate and, and programmatically do those tasks. Right. Um, so you're not endlessly chasing the tail of the last thing that, you know, ran through the barn or whatever. It, exactly. So it, it's one of those things where, um, you, you know, doing log analysis, looking for anomalies, thinking outside of the box uh, and leveraging the tool set that you have is definitely like the types of things you're going to be doing day over day. Um, and I could change you know, the, the details of it could change environment to environment. But, but I do think that, one core thing that the best analysts are going to be doing is like, how can I kind of retroactively look at all of that and, and figure out how to automate or streamline or make that all of that stuff more efficient because the security is such an evolving ecosystem that you doing the same thing day over day guarantees you're going to, um, you know, f- fall behind in, in terms of, comparing against your adversaries. It's like putting money in a bank account, right? Like interest is going to make that lose value over time. So you naturally with, without anyone coming in and saying it every day, you have an obligation to yourself to improve your ability to do faster, be smarter, like see more. And so I, I think that's what we really try and challenge our analysts with is like, Hey, don't just do the jobs that I'm giving yes. you the instruction set for but try and think creatively and like automate yourself out of that job, like promote yourself out of that job. Um, Mm. So I think there's also kind of that intrinsic day-to-day part of our operations. Oh, that's great. So that, so you're saying basically the best way to move from security analyst to the next level is to, uh, as you say, automate your way out of the position, find ways to make it so that you're not just, you know, scanning logs endlessly (laughs) and patching holes endlessly. And, and, oh, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what, what, um, again, I know you're in, you, you've, you've jumped up another level here, but what were, you know, when you were a security analyst, what were the most interesting parts of the job and what were the most sort of boring and repetitive parts of the job? What were the things you, you would clap your hands when you were done with and what were the things that sort of made you fill, filled you with dread on Sunday nights? Uh, I think the, I guess I'll start with the most boring parts of the job because I, I don't know if there is there boring is the right word. I think there, there are parts you really hate and then there's the parts you really love and, and there's not much in between, at least for me. Yep. Um, so the, the boring parts are 
probably just like the monotonous work that, that every, every role is going to come with. Um, you know, you're going to inherit systems and processes that were there before you, or maybe are there because of a wrong set expectation with, you know, some customer, it could be your boss, could be leadership, whoever. So I think those types of things are never fun, but, but they're also ugly necessities of any role. It's like, you know, and the best thing you can do for yourself there is to the earlier point, like figure out how to automate that. So that takes up less of your time. Mm -hmm. I think the most exciting things about the job are, um, security is such a constant discovery in terms of, of working in that space. I mean, we work in such a niche problem set that, um, we are kind of pioneering things of sorts and it is really cool to be at the cusp of that. And, and, you know, I've been in certain circumstances and scenarios where you are, you know, you don't want to um, applaud your adversary, but you've just seen really cool things come across. Um, like there was one particular instance where they had figured out how to, to penetrate a web application by doing some, um, kind of unusual base 64 decoding and slipping things through the URL. And, and like, again, I didn't come from a security background. So anything impressed me at this point in time, but especially this, I was really impressed, really mm -hmm. impressed by. Um, so, so like those little really cool things where you're like, man, someone, you almost applaud the, the, the ability yeah. to think and problem solve from, from both your own guys and uh, like from your own team and from the adversary. And yeah, re respect I, words do, man. Exactly. I think the other thing too is just, um, you know, you're, you're inevitably going to run into positions that, that frankly get, you know, give you the sweats. They like keep you up at night and um, just having resiliency to face their situations um, and be confident and get through them and grow, you grow your comfort. And I think those are also really exciting moments in the job. Now, do you hold, hold any professional certifications and do you, and now that, especially now that you're a manager, do you feel that professional certifications play a, a role in enhancing uh, security careers? Uh, I think it does. Um, and it's one of those weird things where, you know, from what I've always heard, there's uh, a, a weird dichotomy going against each other, like people that put a lot of emphasis on certifications and then there's people that don't. And I'm here in DC where it's so, so much of the security space is driven by um, the public sector and then the government that I think there's especially weight around those sorts of things. Like people almost see it as an obligation or like an un, a, a sad inconvenience versus like an enthusiasm excitement that I'm pursuing my career. It's like, oh, I have to do this. Yeah. Um, but I think it's different strokes for different folks. Like some people really do um, learn how to build a house by just going and building a house. And some people learn how to build a house by watching YouTube videos and like doing a bunch of online research, et cetera. Um, so I, I think that that formal approach is, shouldn't be cast aside, but it, it probably does help some people. And, um, you know, I only hope that the certifications keep pace with how fast that all of this stuff changes. That, that's really my biggest concern with them. But as someone who doesn't have any, I can't okay. speak, speak confidently, but uh, yeah. I, they, I will say this, I am personally thinking about going back and, and starting to pursue some of these because I think it will eventually cap certain careers. Um, maybe you can get by in your earlier entry years of a security career, but right. sooner or later you have to know the, the talk and be able to walk the walk. And, um, 
I, I think it kind of naturally comes with the territory. So as a manager, when you're looking at potential candidates or, you know, uh, new possible new employees for, you know, your security uh, analyst department and so forth, uh, do you, if you see someone with a certification, a CISA or something like that, do you, does, does that make you think, oh, they, they have a little extra something or do you more, are you more interested in seeing what they've done experientially and hands-on and so forth? Uh, it, it's one of those things where a lot of what we do is so in-house knowledge and, and mm -hmm. the space we work in is actually starting to become more commoditized. So you can put weight around that, but very early on, it was all of it was in-house knowledge, like knowing how computer networks, how CDNs, how reverse proxies worked, how web applications worked was more important. And like knowing how to write SQL queries and do analysis had more of a premium for us than the actual security skills of web application security, which is really like counterintuitive to say, but as a lot of the barriers to entry we dealt with as analysts, like that I had to be good at SQL, that I had to know how to like work through Excel in the very early years. Like those things that distracted from the security skill um, have slowly but surely gone away and we're getting to a point where security is becoming the forefront of what we do day in and day out. Um, and, and so in that extent, I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it's critical to have them. And I think it, it, it never hurts a, uh, it never hurts a candidate. I'll say mm -hmm. that. Um, if anything, I think in the early years, we, we were almost nervous to bring in someone with a lot of certifications because we just as a team environment weren't ready to necessarily um, scratch those itches for someone who really wants a, a robust security career. Right. Like, um, yeah, you're hiring for that specific task rather than to sort of like create this sort of bouquet of skills or something. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so you mentioned that you're in sort of a consulting position, but what, what types of companies require a security analyst? Um, uh, is this something that's more commonly a consultantship or are there more security analysts that are working sort of in-house, like you say, protecting the perimeter? Uh, I think, you know, any, any company, um, big or small, needs a security analyst. Now, whether you have budget for it is a different story, but if there's one thing that, that I've really noticed is like the bigger you are, the bigger a target you have on your back and, and more likely you're going to have more people and more organizations and adversaries going after you. So um, I, I think any company really needs a security analyst. And, and if you're a small shop, maybe it doesn't seem like you do, but just securing some of those basic perimeters, right? Like making sure your website doesn't have a lot of open vulnerabilities, making yep. sure if you're giving hardware out to your folks that um, they're not doing dumb things. Like there's a lot of low hanging fruit that, you know, if you could go hire a security analyst to, to do some consulting for you would be very valuable to that company. Hmm. Um, and as you get into bigger corporations and organizations, they're running fully baked out security organizations and, um, the, the role kind of shifts into a different form and function. But I think if you're working at like a smaller environment, you can probably expect, which has been more similar to my experience, that, that your day-to-day -day might not necessarily be fully in the form of like security-focused things day in and day out. It might be um, ha having to shift and pivot into other parts of the organization and, and wear a lot of hats. Whereas if you're going to a big company and you're gunning for that very bureaucratic organization that, that has very complex systems um, and some of the toughest adversaries and toughest security threats, 
you're probably more in a narrow lane where you are truly becoming a deep expert in one area of security. And, um, but, but the con there is that you just might not get to see the broader picture. You might not have as much proximity to that organization's leadership um, and those sorts of things. Uh, so I, I feel like I'm, I, the, you're specifically in a, a great position to answer this. You mentioned that you, you know, were kind of a latecomer to computers and tech and, and, you know, sort of a lot of what you've done has been self-taught. So um, speaking to our listeners who might find themselves in a position or career that they don't like, and it might not even be tech focused or security focused at all. Uh, what was, what, what's one thing that you would recommend they could do in their current position that, you know, that they could do today even that would move them one step closer to getting on the path of being a security analyst? Uh, I, I think just, there's so many online courses today. Just taking an online course that, that intros you to, to security, cybersecurity, um, or even going like the CEH certification. That, that's one I've particularly been eyeing, mm -hmm. uh, certified ethical hacker. Okay. Um, you know, th those are slightly more, like slightly bigger commitments, but things that I think could really give you a taste uh, and an appetite for whether it really is, um, you know, whether you are going to be a good fit for it. I think. Other things that are much more easier to do and like say, you know, you get a couple of hours free one day, just like Google local like security companies um, and look at some of the positions and actually see the requirements of those roles. And I think those uh, job descriptions are really crafted well to kind of give you a better sense of like what you might be doing. It's probably not 100% accurate, but, you know, think about those bullet points and say, oh, okay, that, that's what it could be. I think just starting to give yourself more insight into what a security analyst might be doing, what are some of the possible career avenues, uh, because you don't want to just like leap right into it and just assume you're down for it. Like there's a little bit of validation you have to take to make sure like, okay, this could be, you know, this could be cool. Yeah. So as we wrap up today, um, where do you see the role of security analysts going in 2019, especially now that you're a manager? Um, are, are, do you see the roles changing at all in, in compared to previous years? Uh, you know, does it need to reflect different aspects of upcoming technology or, or just sort of security practices? Um, how is it different now or in the future from where it was when you first started? Yeah, I, I think um, a couple of things is just my experience so far in the security world has been that um, there are a lot of people that kind of come into the space, you know, small vendors, but all roads kind of lead to consolidation and um, getting tucked into bigger and bigger security stacks. So, you know, I, I think with that, you could see this further progression or shift towards like the deep subject matter expertise versus like the broad um, kind of broader kind of jack of all trades security analysts, right? Like as mm -hmm. cyber threats get more and more evolved and sophisticated, it's probably gonna be really hard for a single human to be able to know all of that. Right. So I could see it just kind of like fragment where people are experts in these single lanes. Um, and, and I think like the other thing too is that there's gonna be a premium on tooling, right? Like you always hear about tooling and the ability to parse big data sets, complex data sets, like non-traditional data sets to come up with better insights. So I think there's also just going to be this really cool uh, blend of like with AI and machine learning with like the mathematics of all of that. And, um, you know, the security space, like there's still an explosion waiting to happen there. And, and I'm really curious to see how all of that comes over the next 10 to 20 years. So 
I think just like security analysts could really do themselves a big solid by um, learning programming skills and things like that because it might not necessarily be knowing the threat, but it's actually like owning the systems that beat the threat. And like to do that, you need to be able to work your way around a computer, build programs and um, come up with like little things for that. So I, I think that's kind of maybe where it's going if, if I had to speculate and yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a lot more specialization and, 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 and everyone, but everyone also has to sort of wear multiple hats at the same time, possibly. Exactly. Uh, so tell us a little bit about Distill, the company you work for, and some of the projects your organization's uh, working on at the moment. Yeah, so Distill Networks, um, we defend web applications and mobile applications and API endpoints from, from automated threats. So, uh, you know, if you have a website, people are constantly writing scripts against that either to steal your content, um, perform malicious acts like login attacks or they'll try and stuff your, you know, gift card form to check, like bank out a bunch of gift card dollars. Um, and, and so our platform and technology is, is really designed to prevent that sort of automated scripting against those applications and endpoints. Um, and, and historically, we've been a reverse proxy sort of solution where we're sitting in line with customer web applications, but we've actually found a lot of friction, especially with bigger companies like financial institutions that don't want that single point of failure risk. And so we're moving more towards, um, you know, a, a lighter JavaScript based solution that, that does like an API call out that, that more or less does the same thing in terms of client inspection. But we're at the pivot point of that. And, and we're starting to build that up and stand that pro product up on its own legs. And so it's a really exciting time. It's kind of like doing the same thing, but on, you know, with a new approach and new, new tech stack. So that, that's kind of the current rumblings here at the company. Okay. And if we want to uh, find out more about Distill, uh, where can people go? Yeah. So you can, uh, as you mentioned, we just recently got acquired by Imperva. So if you go to imperva.com, distillnetworks.com is still up and running. You can okay. find us on LinkedIn, just distill, uh, D-I-S-T-I-L, uh, mm -hmm. and networks. And um, we've got a page there as well. Okay. Jonathan Butler, thank you for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks so much. Really appreciate you having me. My pleasure. Uh, and thank you all today for listening and watching. If you enjoyed today's video, you can find many more of them on our YouTube page. Just go to YouTube and type in CyberWork with InfoSec. Check out our collection of tutorials, interviews, and past webinars. If you'd rather have us in your ears during your workday, all of our videos are also available as audio podcasts. Just search CyberWork with InfoSec in your favorite podcast catcher. See current promotional offers available to podcast listeners and to learn more about our InfoSec Pro Live Bootcamps, InfoSec Skills On Demand Training Library, and InfoSec IQ Security Awareness and Training Platform, go to infosecinstitute.com slash podcast or click the link in the description below. Thanks once again to Jonathan Butler, and thank you all again for watching and listening. We'll speak to you next week.